doing this. Um, I think it's going on a year now. We started this in January uh, with the men's breakfast. So, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you. And uh, Nathan is going to give a wonderful testimony um, as far as his work in Japan was concerned. Very thankful that God has brought him here to be able to share with us. But God's also brought us all here to have the word shared to us. And so uh, would you stand as we look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. A very familiar part of the Christmas story. But may this bless us even more and look at it with very fresh eyes. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, going to verse 14, says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee and from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she, ra- and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Oh, and by the way, um, some of you who have been sitting up front, you're wondering, why is Pastor Matt texting? Well, I was texting Dee just to find out how things were going. Uh, one, to, uh, to volunteer if she needed me to stand in and lead. And then I think when I told her that, she's like, oh, I'll be there. <laughs> so, so I just thought I would just kind of speed that along. You're welcome. <laughs> no. Uh, but it, one, of the time, one of the things about coming to... Um, passages like this is that, especially if we've been in church world any amount of time, they are so familiar. They're so familiar. They passed the 3 a.m. test. Tell me what the Christmas story is from Luke, and many of you, I could wake you up, and you could be able to say it, and you'd go right back to sleep without any kind of, without any thought about it. And I think that's the point, is sometimes we may not be thinking about this. We've heard it so much over the years, but whenever I decide I'm going to preach on something else from other passages in the New Testament that deal with Christmas, some of you are really disappointed that we haven't talked about the Christmas stories per se. So here, this is for you. But one of the things that is so compelling about this is the notion of peace. We, we turn on the news, we see what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Remember what's going on in Russia and Ukraine? You haven't forgotten about that, have you? All the things that are going on in our inner cities, all of the issues that are going on politically, we just came out of an election and we see the the philosophies and the worldviews that are tussling with each other. You get on social media, you get on Twitter, you get on Instagram, you get on Facebook, you see them tussling with each other. So the notion of peace out there is an issue, but sometimes you may have an issue with the peace that's going on inside you. 
Um, you know, D was wanting Carly and this baby to not have a, have this child on December 11th. In fact, when I think when they scheduled it back in September, you know, just please don't on December 11th. Well, babies are going to baby and they're going to do what they're going to do. And he, and here it is on December 11th and we're having a good chuckle at it. And D's like, Oh no, this wasn't supposed to be that way. And so it, it kind of gives you a little bit of attention. A little bit of a, of a dissonance that's there. This little rub that's going on that's really making you think about something extra when you're trying to put all your energies into this one thing. You may get into a meeting at church and sometimes it's not very peaceful because you have those different philosophies engaging with each other and you're trying to work that through in love and in grace and in mercy. Back in 1849, there was a, a minister by the name of Edmund Sears who wrote a poem that you may not believe this, you're, you're all very familiar with. In 1849, the United States had just gotten out of the Mexican-American War, and a little over a decade later, they would be getting into this internal strife of our U.S. Civil War. But in 1849, there was something that was really pressing on Edmund Sears, and so he wrote this verse. We don't sing it very much because it's a third verse. And those of us who know how we sing hymns sometimes, that third verse just gets shoved right over to the side. But this is the third verse of a, of a poem that he wrote entitled, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. Listen to these words. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, Look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Now, bending low, because sometimes the pressures of life can make you. My kids used to read these books called Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And that kid did not stand up straight. Drove me nuts. You know, because I have a a problem with posture as well. My, My 10th grade teacher, Mrs. Stevenson, sit up, you sloucher. She called me a sloucher. And those are the types of names that stick, by the way. So anyway, and so I, I look at posture and I try to be very, I have to always be thinking about it, standing up straight, especially when your dad's in the Air Force as well. But I noticed the diary of a wimpy kid, that kid's back was always like this. But sometimes I feel like that when there's a lot of issues that may be going on, you know, you just feel like, oh, you get the bending low, painful steps. Every step is hard. Every step is slow. You're just trying to put one foot in front of the other, this, this piece that's there. What, what's sad about Edmund Sears, by the way, is that he was a universalist Unitarian minister, which means that they only believed in one person of the Godhead. They thought Jesus was just a great teacher, not fully God. They didn't agree with the fact that Jesus was God with us. And they also didn't believe that there was necessarily a need for someone to come and save us that we could work it out ourselves and ultimately make it there. There was no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. And yet, Edmund Sears looked at this passage and found something compelling about it, just like people do in our culture. Peace on earth. The King James says goodwill to men. Other translations where, you know, it ends up talking about peace on whom his favor rests. It's saying the same thing, just in a different way. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, really, where are we looking to find our peace? Where are we looking to find it? Politically? Well, good luck to you. Um, Socially? Emotionally? Everybody else has to behave. When everybody else behaves themselves, then I'll be at peace. (laughs) Right? So what we're doing is we are determining in our own hearts and in our own minds what 
is the definition for us of peace. And for some of you, it may be a certain amount of money. It may be a certain amount of recognition. It may be a certain amount of fame. For some of you, it's just like, I hope the paycheck covers the bills. That's going to give me some peace. You see what can happen? All of these things can happen, but the, the, the problem can be is that we begin to look for peace horizontally. We begin to look for peace out of expectations of somebody else or our own expectations, which I've said a thousand times, we can't even live up to that. Peace comes here. Some of you have, have, have said, you know, and, and the, the analogy is the home life. You know, if everything's good in the home life, then you can pretty much handle anything else. And I will say that there is a correlation there. If you have peace with God, it's amazing how much you can handle horizontally when you have peace with God vertically. If you don't have peace with God vertically, then what you're going to do is you're going to put that peace that only God can give and you're going to throw it on other people and you're going to be depressed, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be bitter, you're going to be angry, and it's going to be destructive. Count on it. And some of you are feeling that way right now. You're walking in because of some things that have happened this week that have just flat, just made you just want to just, you're done. You're done with people. You're done with you. You're done with stuff. You're done with God. You're done. I'm hoping that by the time you leave out of here, you'll be able to see what this peace that God gives, what it's really all about. And it may not be the peace that you're thinking it is, but you're able to to appropriate it that the Holy Spirit will grip your heart, change your heart to where you realize this world is temporary, it's passing away, it's broken, it is a certifiable mess. But he's not. And he has you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, hear what peace God provides for you in Jesus. So you look at this and you see some ways that other people are trying to find peace or appropriate peace. You go to uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 where we ask that question, you know, where, where, do we, where do we look to find peace? What kind of peace? Let's put, that, put the first one up there. What kind of peace are you expecting? What kind of peace do you expect? It says, in those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Let me stop right there. So Caesar Augustus, he served as, he was the self, he was the appointed by, he was appointed by Julius Caesar himself. (laughs) Right words, wrong order. He was appointed by Julius Caesar himself, and he served 27 B.C. um, to about 14 AD. He served for a long time, 41 AD. He served for uh, a long time as emperor. And he was the first of five emperors over Roman history that's known as what's called the Pax Romana. That's Latin for Roman. You want to guess what Pax means? Peace. And the way that Caesar Augustus and all of those emperors kept peace was by force. By force, by intimidation, by fear. You, as long as you complied, as long as you did what you were supposed to do, everything would be fine. You began to break some rules, or if there'd be little skirmishes that were going on, then all of a sudden there would be a problem, and that Roman army was so powerful, it could squash it. 
Yeah, that's peace. As far as politically is concerned, that was peace. Now, they let the little communities that were part of the Roman Empire pretty much govern themselves. They only had one request, is that you collect taxes and send it back to Rome. As long as you do that, and as long as you swear allegiance to Caesar, whom they thought was divine, by the way, you'll be fine. Well, these Christians started rising up, and it wasn't a problem for the Christians as long as it was seen as, as, as a sect of Judaism. Judaism kind of got grandfathered in as far as Caesar worship was concerned. But when the Jews later on in the New Testament started separating from the Christians, well, then all of a sudden the Christians started getting persecuted. So any group that started to deny the worship of Caesar who provided all of this peace, then there would be a problem. What's interesting, though, is how God is using this man who thought he was divine to accomplish his purposes. God was putting Mary and Joseph exactly where they needed to be. Now, where were Mary and Joseph? Well, they were in Nazareth, and Nazareth was a good way from Bethlehem. And we know the prophecies, and we know from other places that this boy was going to be born, this Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, how was that going to happen with Nazareth? God put it on Caesar's heart to ask for a registration so everybody would go back to their hometown. Why? Not to have a family reunion for taxation purposes. Now, do you think it was very peaceful for Mary, who was nine months pregnant, nine months with child, to come and to be on that ride all the way down there and then try to find a place to stay, couldn't end up having to go to a cave, a manger where the child was going to be born and the crib was going to be a cattle trough? That doesn't sound very peaceful either. But why did Mary and Joseph seem to handle it so well? Because they knew they had this relationship with God that was intact. And so all of the things that were going on, yes, would be an aggravation. Yes, it would be an annoyance. Yes, it would be a nuisance. But they were, they were staying obedient. And you didn't hear a lot of complaining out of them. The Bible's very honest. If they were complaining, they would have showed it. And so God was using Caesar Augustus, who thought he was divine, to get people in place to show ultimately what the real peace is. But have you ever met people who are just flat-out bullies? We still have Caesar Augustuses that are right, around right now. Well, they, they think they're in charge, and this is how it should be. And if this is how it should be and you conform, then yes, then everything will be just fine. But if you mess up, then you're going to have me to deal with. You know, those people are in churches too. And it doesn't make for a very unified group when they're trying to be the Savior. We already got a Savior. Any of you that may be here that may have that bullying tendency and you're thinking, well, I'm going to be here to rescue whatever, 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 and be on you. You're going to have to do what I want to do because I'm right. We've already got a Savior. Thank you. When we all need a Savior, thank you. Why don't we look to him for how things should be rather than trying to look to you? We spend all this time trying to find peace horizontally. We're trying to find peace by making people do what we want them to do. And even, even when you are a political figure with all the power on earth, you still don't have the power of what God has in orchestrating his plan to get true peace on earth. So let's look at the second question here. The second question here, what kind of peace does he provide? Well, let's get into another scenario, another scene where we get to the shepherds. 
And the shepherds, here it says, and in the same region, same area, same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, what's happening here? Now, the shepherds, I think over the years, and I may have helped perpetuate some of this, but I'm starting to wonder if the shepherds have gotten a, a raw deal from us preachers over the years. Because sometimes people are thinking that the shepherds were complete outcasts and no, nobody had any, any thought for them. And I don't know if anybody even thought about them. I don't know if they were hated. I just like they may have been just flat ignored. But you've got to consider all through the New Testament, all through the Bible, shepherds are elevated. In fact, pastors are called. That's what the word pastor is. You're a shepherd. And so they're not going to, if something is bad, God's not going to give a designation to someone who's leading a flock, a a bad designation. He's not going to do that. But what we do know is that the shepherds provided the service. These shepherds in this region were providing the sheep that would serve as the sacrifices in the temple worship to help people get right with God. So when you see that, you see these shepherds did have a use. These shepherds understood what they were doing. And it's, and it's one of those things where the glory of the Lord shows up. It's not that the glory of the Lord shows up and they don't have any idea what's going on. No, they're well aware. They've read about it. It's just, you know, have you ever read something in the Bible and you're like, well, that's nice. And then you experience God moving and you're like, whoa, well, that's what happens. It's experiencing what God is doing and what God has been talking about. And it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear, sore afraid. Because whenever God shows up, it's not, it's not going to be a party. When God shows up, the majority of people, when God shows up in his glory, fall at his feet as though dead. And some have died. Now, God in his protection did not do that here. This is the angels that are coming. And when they were filled with great fear, the angel said to them and used the same language as when they showed up to Joseph, fear not. Why? Because I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Even you shepherds, for all the people. Now, what's the, what's the issue here? Well, let's, let's take this apart. For behold, that means pay attention. I bring you good news. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through Hebrews, and that's been part of what's going on in Hebrews 1, is that these angels are messengers of salvation. They're not the providers of salvation. They can't save, but they give the message of salvation to people. And we see the angels were given the message on Mount Sinai to Moses, to Moses to bring it on on down. God was using these angels as these messengers to communicate his glory and his word. And so I bring you good news. There is a difference between news and advice. And I think we have to make sure when we're teaching the Bible, we're communicating the Bible, that the gospel is not just good advice. If you do this, then good things will happen. That's advice. The difference between advice and news is you're giving somebody something in hopes that something in the future will happen well. News is something that's already happened, right? So, God has already worked this out. He is speaking as if it's already happened because that's what God does. When God makes a promise and said something's going to happen, it will happen. And he speaks as if it's already happened. 
And so when we look at this, I bring you good news. The gospel is good news. But I I sense that we don't often associate good news of great joy. I asked last week, why are we so afraid of the Holy Spirit? I'm going to ask another question. Why does the gospel not bring us more joy? Why does the gospel, well, um, God, I know you're supposed to do this and you're a good God for saving me, but that guy, why does that guy got to be like that? Why does that person have to be like this? Why does this have to happen to me? Yeah, Lord, I know you have saved me from hell and my sin and my brokenness, but why did that guy have to cut me off in traffic? Do you see what happens? We take him so for granted that we determine by our circumstances how good he is. Listen, you want to know a circumstance that shows how good he is? Look to the cross. Look to the empty tomb and everything else that happens in your life. Are you with me? Everything that happens in your life pales in comparison. He will take care of you. He has promised to do that. Don't separate the act of the gospel from the joy that the gospel brings. I think that's happened to too, far too many of us. We're looking too much this way. But in reality, every day we need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves. We need to be our own preachers and having our own invitations coming, saying, Lord, this day, yours. This hour, yours. This minute, the second, yours. All the time, every day, every week, every month, every year, new commitments, new mercies every morning, greatest is faithfulness, and understand where we need to be moving. For all the people, not just for a certain group of people, And this is what we end up doing. The gospel's for me. I'm so glad that God brought me to heaven. Me. Yeah. But the gospel's also for your enemy. Your political enemy. Your social enemy. The gospel is for everyone. And when we get that in place, then that guy that cuts us off in traffic then all of a sudden we're praying for him. We're wondering what's, what happened, what's happened in his life. Lord, I hope you're with him. Now that is not easy to get to. Is that an easy place for you to get to? No. Is that an easy place for you to get to? It's not easy for them over here. How about you? Is it an easy place for you? Yeah. Oh, you're better? Okay. You see? I don't know what those people are, those piano side people. We got it all together. Because if this relationship is a problem, then the gospel, we love the gospel being for us, but we got a problem being for them, especially if our peace is political or our peace is social or our peace is personal or our peace is financial or our peace is this or our peace is that that's over here. We're not going to think like that. We're going to think how somebody affected me. And then we're going to thank God for saving me. When in reality, the gospel is for all people. Even them, yes. You don't mean, yes, I do. Because if if God can save you and he can save my sorry hide, he can do anything. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Well, 
Number, question number three, is that peace sufficient for you? And the question that I'm asking about where we go from here, if you take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's just a few books to your right. It's a fairly big book. It's one of Paul's letters. Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthian church. In fact, I saw something on Facebook. Uh, if Paul was still alive right now, he'd be writing America a letter in a hurry. The American church, I should say, a letter in a hurry. But he wrote four letters to the Corinthian church. So 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is really 1 Corinthians. The other two weren't preserved. I often wonder what was there because I know how sharp these two books were, those other ones. Oh boy. But Paul didn't hold back. But one of the things in 2 Corinthians 5 is it get, we, we, well, we, what's a problem for us as, as Southern Baptists and so many Christians is that we stop at the wrong point when it comes to our salvation. We stop. What do I mean? Okay, verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 5. Are you there? Are you with me? Okay. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? Does that mean that no one's in the flesh anymore? We're going to pretend everybody's a hologram? No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, is that our flesh, self, we're not going to, we're no longer going to regard people selfishly anymore because we're in Christ. Some of us have a long way to go. I know I do. It's a daily, hourly minute-by-minute battle not to deal with people the way I feel people should be dealt with in my flesh. That's why I need Jesus all the time. That's why I need to be in my Bible all the time. Now, that's what he means. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, in other words, we just saw him as a great teacher, as a great master, but not as holy God, not as our Savior, you see? That's important to understand because look at what's being said the rest of the way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what's it say? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. I learned that in Bible school. I learned that as a standalone verse in Bible school. And I thought, yes. How cool was that? Bible school. I talked like that then. How cool was that? That God would save me. Thank you, God, for saving me. And then I would go on my way. Now, I don't know how your Bible is laid out, but that's not the end of the paragraph, is it? There's more. And he says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now, that's great. I have been reconciled to God. I was a rebellious, sinful, broken, shaking my fist at God human being, as we all were before we came to Christ. And so, when I see that God has worked and sent his only son to reconcile little old me, what is man that you are mindful of him? Little old me. Yes. 
Thank you, God, for saving me. Now, I don't know how your, that verse is laid out in verse 18, but that's not the end of the sentence, is it? Read your Bibles. Because what your Bibles are going to tell you is this. Verse 18, at the beginning, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to us to himself. And then that word, and. Schoolhouse Rock is our friend. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Conjunction, junction. You remember? Remember that? And so, this guy, conjunction. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you know what that means? That means that when God saved you, your work was not done. You have been given the ministry, the task of being an instrument of reconciliation to others. God saved your sorry hide. God saved my sorry hide. So now I have been given a ministry to go and help other people's sorry hides be saved. And I think we have put a period where God put an end. I think we put a period where God put a comma. I think we stopped in the middle of a paragraph rather than read to the end of the paragraph. Look at what else is being said. You say, well, he didn't mean that. Yeah, he did because he keeps going. Verse 19, there's a semicolon there. That is God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Boy, doesn't that sound great? That God's not going to count your trespasses against you? Wow! But entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he didn't just say it once. He said it twice. Twice is a pattern. He could say it once and it'd be a pattern. But he said it twice, reinforcing it, driving it home. Your responsibility, once you come to Christ, is to help others come to Christ. To help that peace. So let's go back. We're going to go, we're going to hop back to Luke 2 very quickly. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. What kind of peace is it talking about? Edmund Sears, uh, who wrote, it came upon the midnight clear, the Unitarian Universalist minister, just come out of the American, Mexican American war, going into the civil war. He was thinking that peace was political. If everybody just laid their arms down, laid their guns down and not have no more, no more war. Down by the riverside. Remember that old, ain't going to study war no more. Ain't going to study war no more. That's what he would think peace would be. But Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars, but the time has not yet come. So he's honest with us about that. So the peace is not everybody behaving themselves and conforming themselves to how I want you to behave. Is that peace? No. Getting an A on that test, boy, that's peace. Well, then you got another test coming up. Fun. How fun. There's always this thing coming up. There's nothing that can provide that ultimate peace. And again, the only peace that, that you need that can truly be provided is the ultimate peace that's found in Christ. If you don't look there, then you're going to impose it on other people. And what was that litany I gave you earlier? You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be angry. You're going to be bitter. You're going to be depressed. You are going to go on a destructive pattern in your mind. Sometimes our minds take us places that we definitely don't need to go. And it's because we may be looking for peace in the wrong place. The only peace that is lasting peace, that is ultimate peace, that is 
The peace that we need is the peace that the angels are singing about. Peace on earth. That peace is connected to the Savior. A Savior will be born to you who is Christ the Lord. That salvation is the only thing that can bring you peace. And so back to the second Corinthians part where he's talking about here, therefore we are ambassadors, verse 20, ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal, how? Through us. You're the channel. You're the conduit, Christian. Yeah, but what about these? There's no qualifiers here. Our peace is not found in any for any here anything here. Our peace is only found vertically. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God, for he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ is the place where you find that peace. Yeah, but I, I made a decision fifty years ago, forty years ago, thirty years ago. For me it was forty. Forty. Yeah, 40. Whoa. 40 years ago, I came to Christ, 1982. And so when that happens, when that happens, you begin to think, okay, well, I came to Christ. I'm going to stop mid-sentence in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm done. I don't need to be a minister of reconciliation. God saved me, and I'm done. He ca- Why did he keep you here? Why was it like a Star Trek um, transporter mechanism that as soon as you became saved, you're, you're in heaven? Because he kept you here to be a minister of reconciliation, to be an ambassador for Christ. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. It's not just what Christ has done for you, but it's about what Christ is doing through you for others as well. And over the next year, We're going to give you as many tools as possible to be able to have those conversations with people, to help them to understand more about what it means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to do our part. It's not just up to the professionals. All of us are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of us have people in our lives that we know need to know the peace of Christ. In fact, some of you who, who, as Christians, you've gotten angry and bitter and frustrated with people, that may be for you. You may have forgotten how to preach the gospel to yourself. You may have forgotten what Christ did for you. And God puts these things in your life to expose your heart, to show you, ooh, I didn't know that was there. Ooh, I don't know where that came from. Mm. But he's kept you here to confess and repent of that sin and to continue to be a conduit of his mercy and grace to others as someone was a conduit of mercy and grace to you. Do you see? So when we look at this passage again, where, where, what kind of peace are you expecting from God? Is it a peace that he's promised to give you? He says in this world you will have trouble. He says, through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. He he says that. Why are you surprised, he says in 1 Peter, about the fiery trials that have come upon you? Why are you shocked? It's because we've we've allowed America to, to infiltrate our Christianity. 
We think all about being, the American dream is about you being comfortable. And we have appropriated that to Christianity. Christianity is not being about comfortable. Christianity is about being faithful. And are you willing to pay the price and, and to sacrifice for the cause of Christ? I look around this room and I know that some of you are in some, in some very difficult situations, whether it's with your jobs or whether it's with your family, whether it's with friends. I, I, I see you. I want you to know he sees you as well. You hang in there with those issues that God has allowed you to go through and just remember, God is, not, God is not mean and God is not unfaithful because you're going through those things. He said we would. But our hope is in what Christ has done, not in our situations and circumstances. Our hope is in what Christ has done. Our hope is in what Christ has done. Don't forget that. As I pray for you, I want you to pray, be praying on your own. You can listen to what I'm saying, but if you're praying on your own, ask God to show you where you are before him. And don't bring that trope to him. Well, I became a Christian when I was a kid. I walked that aisle and signed that card when I was a kid. What kind of fruit are you bearing when the hard times hit? I squeeze an orange. I squeeze an orange. You know what comes out? Orange juice. I squeeze an apple. You know what comes out? Applesauce. What happens when you're squeezed? What comes out of you? Is it Jesus or is it not? Heavenly Father, we need peace. We do want political peace. We do want social peace. We do want, we, we, and there is a place for us to seek that out. The peace of that unborn child, the peace of that forgotten widow or widower, the peace that we need racially and socially. Lord, we do need those things. But we can have all of those earthly pieces in place and still not have heavenly peace, still not have spiritual peace, still not have the peace that passes all understanding that Christ has provided for us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the Prince of Peace the peace on earth, goodwill to men, peace on earth on whom his favor rests only comes through Jesus. And so if there's anyone here that has not trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that this would be the morning that they would come, that they would see the peace that passes all understanding, knowing that there's aspects of following you in this world that will make it hard and tough, but you've promised to be with us in the valley You've promised to be with us no matter where we go, even to the end of the age, you've said. And we're grateful for that. And Father, for those that are here that are, not follow, that are followers of Jesus, but there's a drift that's happened, Lord. There's a drift that's left them frustrated and angry and bitter. And I pray, Father, that you would expose that, but also expose the word that they've heard over the years for so long that would lead them back to full and sweet and beautiful fellowship with you. Because the world sees us, Lord. The world sees how we react when things don't go well. And I pray, Father, you would help us 
to be reminded of that old hymn, your life's a book before their eyes. They're searching it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and do your work and that we would get ourselves out of the way so that you would move full and free. Help us to respond. Give us the strength to do so by faith. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are getting ready to sing this hymn of commitment.